Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of That's Debatable, where me, Creed Finnefrock, and me, Miles Avalas, talk about different things that are going on in our world around us. Um, this week, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, Marcus, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a few yeah. things about you. Hi, uh, I'm Marcus. I've been friends with Creed and Miles for a while. And honestly, when I heard about this show, I'm kind of offended that I haven't been on before, but that's fine. <laughs> that's beside the point. <laughs> hey, we're, we're I, starting out the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I get into political debates with these guys anyway, so I figured why not do it somewhere where everyone can hear what we say instead of, you know, just in a room. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, that's great. Marcus, thank you for introducing yourself. Uh, Miles, why don't you take it away with our show topic? Uh, yeah, this week we'll be covering the Electoral College. Should we keep it or should we not? That's what we'll be arguing today. And so I, I will be arguing in favor of keeping the Electoral College. Marcus will be debating getting rid of the Electoral College. And Creed, yeah. what are and you going to do? For this one, I'm kind of in the middle a little bit right now. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out exactly my opinion on this. So I'll kind of be butting in at random moments just to, you know, add a little bit of information on one thing or, you know, say, Hey, this is why this is happening, et cetera. You know, just, I'll just be kind of a moderator in a sense, but not really. Yeah. All right. A quick Inspiring. disclaimer that um, nothing we say here represents necessarily our own opinions or the opinions of KMIH. Yeah. Right, well, let's just get started right here. So one of the major reasons people bring up for why we should keep the electoral college is that it protects the interests of rural people and people not from major cities because 83% of the American population lives in what are called urban areas. And so if presidential candidates wanted to win, they would obviously just campaign to the cities, leaving the rural population behind. And that would feel even more, division in our politics than we already have and would really leave the people from less urban areas behind. All right. So it's an important point that you make, Miles, that 83% of America's population lives in urban areas. And while this is true, generally candidates end up catering to a select group of battleground states that hold not a ton of votes, but enough votes that they can swing the outcomes of elections. In fact, in the 2016 election, you had Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton spending 90% of their time in just 11 states because those states can potentially go either way based on how their, um, their votes are laid out in terms of the population. So because of the Electoral College, even though, yeah, it does, it does protect the minority opinion, but it may actually overrepresent it because instead of catering to all of the states or like catering to specific or not not even all the states but like not even half of the states they end up talking specifically to a group of states where each vote ends up carrying just enough weight in just enough number of votes to be able to change the outcome of elections and it's like bigger states like california a state like california will vote the same way almost every time. And a state like New York is going to vote the same way every time. Um, what's another one? Well, Florida's not going to. Uh, Ohio's not going to. Iowa's 
Iowa, well, Iowa doesn't have a ton of votes, but Minnesota. Like Michigan's not going to, yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota always Ooh. votes Democratic, so that's another yeah. one. Um, but you have like battleground states where they have a few votes that will change the whole outcome of the election. And so because of that, the electoral college is designed in such a way that it protects the minority opinion, but now it's propagating the minority opinion and actually, in some ways, suppressing the majority opinion. Yeah, what I, what I would say to that is, if you get rid of the Electoral College, those key battleground states, the swing states, they just get replaced by the major cities. So I don't think there's, I think there's problems both ways. But the thing about the battleground states is that they represent a group of opinions that's much more diverse. That's why they're swing states, you know. There's people that are Republicans and Democrats in each state. And so it could go either way in any given election. And so I think that the swing states are actually a better representation of the United States of America than just the major cities. I think, I think that's important, but I also think that the urban areas, they do represent like a majority of Americans. So while I do agree that it's important to hear the minority opinion, the way that things are shaping out, I think that honestly, the cities, it would make more sense for the cities to control the electoral process. They would probably be a better indicator of what America wants as a whole than the electoral college, simply because there's going to be more people there and there's going to be more people that the candidates need to win over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's pretty interesting. I, I considered that when I was uh, going through my own um, opinions on this. But another thing I thought of is um, because all these people are concentrated in such small areas, it leaves these massive areas where the voices of the others may not be heard. And that's kind of what Miles was saying, I think. So even though, yes, it does technically represent a majority, it's in such a small concentrated area that it kind of leaves out all the other sections. So this brings up an interesting point of should it be one vote for one person or should it be balanced in such a way so that every group of people has more or less a balanced influence on who gets elected? Like take Washington State, for example. Since there is no like electoral college within the state, Eastern Washington is always going to get outvoted by Western Washington because Western Washington is so much more densely populated and Eastern Washington is never going to get what they actually want. They're, they're never going to be able to get a vote for president. In. True, true. I mean, there, I would say that The popular system versus the electoral system, I think both of them are going to have issues that need to be, um, that need to be addressed in some way, shape or form. And I think that unfortunately, I mean, I wish there was a perfect system. I really do. I don't know what it would look like for the life of me, but in general, I would like to believe that the majority opinion is going to be the opinion that's going to be instituted. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. especially in the case of like, and this actually might be harder, but in the case of like narrow majorities, it still feels 
a little unjust for someone to achieve a majority and still lose to the minority opinion simply because a couple people in a couple areas decided differently um, in areas where it carries more weight. Because, and I probably should have said this first before I started talking about um, the weight of electoral votes, but in smaller, the smaller your state is, the more weight your vote carries towards the votes of the electors. And so that's why states where there is a moderate number of electoral votes and they're based on population, that's why those ones carry, um, those ones carry the most weight because per person, uh, and there's an equilibrium obviously between how many votes and how many people, um, per person though, their votes carry more weight. And so that's why you see those narrow leads or those um, narrow losses. So because of that, and that's why the electoral system kind of, it's why um, these battleground states become so pivotal in determining policy. It's not necessarily because they're more diverse. It's more specifically because they just have a lower concentration of people per area. And so it changes the overall demographic of how their voting would work compared to states where the populations are denser. So uh, one other, I guess, way of looking at the Electoral College is it rewards uh, candidates that seek a more diverse, or that seek to appease a more diverse group so instead of just appealing to like each American just with the raw numbers, it appeals to, it unites the country together by appealing to every American. I feel like I've already said this, but. Yeah, well, I think one thing you're trying to go with that is instead of having it where if it was a popular vote, many of the people who are running for you know presidency would probably just go to the main cities, like the five biggest cities in um, USA or something. And so it'd be a more conscious, a concentrated area where they went to actually go seek for votes instead of spreading it out. And Marcus did address that, um, you know, with his, his statements. But I think what Miles is trying to go with that is, you know, it spreads it out a little more instead of just putting it in certain primary cases, I guess, mm-hmm. even though it still does that in a way. But, you know, not as much. It spreads it out more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Electoral College is a hard subject to kind of um, verbalize on. It it's, really is. Yeah. It's fun, though. It's fun to learn. Yeah, true. Okay, so I would say, this will be interesting, but I would say that there are a lot of elements of the Electoral College I would like to keep. I think probably the most troublesome element of it, and this, like, if we got rid of this one, I'd actually be open to keeping it and like just in a modified form. So I think that the winner take all strategy is a pretty bad one. And I'll use California as my example. There are Um, actually plenty. Oh yeah, go ahead. Can you explain the winner take all thing? Oh yeah. So um, in the electoral college, um, a group that gets a majority in, or the electors, the majority of electors, whatever they vote for, all of the state's electoral votes go towards that. So like, um, oh, I think with Michigan has like 16 or 17 electoral votes, something like that. Um, so if 10 of those electors 
vote for candidate A and seven of them vote for candidate B, then all 17 of the votes go to candidate A because uh, the majority of those voted for candidate A. There are only two states that split their electoral votes based on the district because an electoral vote is assigned to a specific district based on the um, the state's um, congressional district. So because of that, um, Arkansas, I think, I think it's Arkansas and Maine, they split their electoral electoral votes based on which how the districts go. And this is probably the best system, honestly. Like, and I'll use California as my example now. Um, but California has plenty of Republican enclaves, but of those districts, none of them get represented when California turns in all of its electoral votes, like all 55 or so, or I think it's 55 or 54. All 54, I guess, I'll go 54, um, go to usually the Democratic candidate instead of probably what I assume at least 10 to 20 that should go to the Republican candidate. So if we broke that down, honestly, it would go so far to fixing the overall system. And that way it would also encourage people to vote more um, because oh, in cases like that, you know, people who, you know, live in an extremely Democratic state are less likely going to vote if they're Republican. And then same way if it's, you know, Democrats in a more Republican state. So that would increase um, voting numbers by quite a bit, I'd assume. Oh, absolutely. Uh, this way you kind of limit, you kind of limit the party factor that is part of how they probably have stayed away from the Electoral College. So if mm -hmm. you go by city, it's going to be probably a Democratic candidate almost every time. Like yep. all the cities are just like Democratic strongholds. If you go by district, you're probably going to get a more even spread. But I would imagine it would lean a little more Republican because there are a lot of rural districts that vote Republican, but their votes aren't really counted in the face of um, these massive city votes that go on. Um, or not really, but like because their votes are so low, the popular vote by state that helps, that traditionally has helped determine electors, mm -hmm. um, it's largely hung on cities. And generally the rural states can counter that a little bit, but it does change based on um, how big of a city you have. Yeah. I think that kind of does, you know, that that is a good part, I'd say, of the electoral college with, you know, not necessarily in the state level, but like, like within one state, but on a USA level where it is spreading it out more. So the more rural states too, then can kind of balance that out. So it'd be, instead of just having it state by state, it would be more district by district with an overall state allocated number. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. Just to like, just for our listeners to fact check something real quick is the two states that have that hybrid system that Marcus's was describing are actually Maine and Nebraska. And then how There's many electoral college votes does California have? Because I'm pretty sure Marcus was right with, you know, I think it was 55 is my guess. Can't remember though. What's your guess, Marcus? Um, well, I think it's 54 
because I can't, it may have changed since the census, but I think they have 52 districts and two senators. So I think 54. Yep, 55. So Creed got it. Ah, because the wrong number, 50-50 chance. Yeah, it's crazy. And then you look at states like Maine that has like four votes. Oh, poor little Maine. So few votes. The electoral system is just kind of weird. Um, overall, I think that probably we could do with taking a serious look at how we district off because that also is a kind of biased process. So, oh man, you're just going to kind of have to let me go on a tangent for a quick second about um, the process by which we um, we create our congressional districts because those do determine electoral votes. Mm -hmm. But moreover, um, after they do the census, it's pretty much left up to state governments to mm -hmm. kind of push off these areas. And it depends greatly on like, because generally each government has a specific, um, a specific party in power, right? It's very rarely uh, just kind of split down the middle. And so mm -hmm. because of that, uh, state governments will often actually change their districts so that their party is more likely to win. And mm -hmm. it's a, oh, it's a complicated process to kind of explain how they're able to do that. But the, basically the long and short of it is, is that they can change the outcome of uh, state and federal elections by changing where the district lines are. Mm -hmm. And basically like, especially in cases of like, like in this last election, um, Georgia was super close. It was like, it was less than, uh, it was less than 100,000 votes at least. I think it might've been less than 50,000. Um, I'm probably due for another fact check on that. So that's great. But um, they probably, they will would be able to move their district lines based on census results, um, simply to kind of cut those 50,000 out mm -hmm. and just re, and basically turn the state red again. So that in and of of itself is an interesting process yeah for for the listeners that's called uh gerrymandering they use tactics like called packing and cracking to make it so that their party comes out on top so what they do in packing is the party that's in control of the state government they try to squeeze all of the opposition into one district voting district and that way that the, the rest of that the rest of the districts will outnumber them and they also use a tactic called cracking where they try and separate like a city for example they try to split the city into several parts so that they'll be outnumbered in all of the districts that it's in um i want to hear your guys's um opinions on the faithless elector problem um is what i've heard it called where a person in the electoral college um, so I think it's the, the electors of an area cast their ballot in opposition to the majority vote that was sent to them. So, uh, the first person to ever do this was Samuel Miles, a Federalist from Pennsylvania. Um, he cast his vote in 1796 for the Democratic Republican candidate, Thomas Jefferson, even though his own Federalist Party candidate, John Adams, had won Pennsylvania's popular votes. That's actually happened 150 times, which if you think about it, like 
in the grand scheme of things, that actually hasn't been that much at all. It's something like 99% of electors vote as they should. And it's never really turned an election in any kind of way. But uh, the argument that the founding fathers made was that it would protect the public from being misinformed. So, yeah, I, I don't know if a candidate was somehow misrepresenting themselves or the facts or something that the elector could vote for someone else. But that doesn't seem that applicable today. What do you think about that, Marcus? Well, I would tend to agree with you on this point. Um, I think it's Alexander Hamilton who basically said that the electoral system uh, would in many ways, or it would in essence protect the public or the voting process from, I think he called it snister bias, which I was like, okay, over embellishment there, man, but whatever. Um, but I think that it is a lot less applicable today, especially with mass media involved, because they're telling you like everything, everything that's happening during an election, right? So the public is a lot more informed than they would have been in 1770. No, it wasn't 1789, I guess. Um, And so because of that, kind of when you um, break with your, when you break with the popular vote, it's probably a lot more of an uprooting of the general will of the people than it was back then. Um, And in some ways, I kind of have to applaud it because they are voting with what they think is right. And I think in a normal situation, that would be fine. But this is like, this is an election for the highest office in the United States of America and probably the most powerful position in the modern world. And I think that if you ignore the will of the people of your state, which I mean, in the grand scheme of electors is probably not that many, Um, But it feels like you have a moral obligation to uphold the the opinion of the people who you are supposed to be representing. So, and I agree, it probably doesn't overturn the results of elections that much. Like, I would guess it happens less than once in, or only once if it happens, you know, words. Uh, It happens only once if it happens during an election and one vote probably isn't going to swing it either way but on just kind of like on the basis of principle and how the whole system is supposed to work in this day and age it probably makes much less sense than it did before and it should probably be a practice that we don't deal with yeah the original reasons for it miles went over um just because you know hey certain people in this area may be uneducated on these ideas or like you know falsely educated um part of that was because news spread a lot slower back then and so if you you hear something from someone be like oh yeah this person if you vote for them they're going to do these things but it might be the complete opposite of what they're going to do and so a person who would be running these electoral votes could see like hey the people in this area are voting for this thing but you know maybe they don't actually know what they're really voting for so that's why they would overturn it in those scenarios and so i think the actual question we are going for is is it necessary like do we think that people like that sort of thing would still be necessary you know are people not going to be educated enough on these things 
Now, obviously, you know, people are always going to be very well read into certain situations, but, you know, it's probably not as bad in a sense as it used to be. Well, I think you could honestly make an argument two ways involving the media. I think you could say that the, um, the media is a really, it's like inundated us with information that, so we probably will be well-informed. I think you could also say that people tend to listen to the media that agrees with their own opinions. Like I love CNN. I don't like Fox News. I'm sure that valid points come up on both of them, but I don't like listening to Fox News. So I think that you could make the argument that people are actually less informed because they're only listening to the stuff that they want to hear. I'd say they're, we're probably more informed, but we're also more misinformed, if that makes sense. So we have like a general idea of what's going on, but it's kind of sprinkled with bias here and there. Or not sprinkled, just completely dumped with bias. Um, And yeah, Marcus, I totally get what you're saying. Um, What many people try to do if they want to get the full opinion is, you know, look up both sides and kind of read through both, um, which is, you know, it's kind of hard to do. Like this situation with the Electoral College, um, if I had heard about it before and not really known which side to take and just heard like one or two things from each side, I probably would have definitely gone with no, there's no reason to get rid of it. But, you know, you look into both and you might learn more about a different thing. And so, um, yeah, and I think most people probably wouldn't do that as much and just take it directly from the source and be like, all right, this makes sense. And then just run with it. So I can see what you're saying with, you know, there's, we're getting more informed, but misinformed. Or wait, that was Miles who said that. It's kind of this interesting question because people call this the information age, right? Or something like that. And it's like, okay, yes, we have a lot of information available to us. A lot of it is misinformation especially with social media where pretty much anyone can say anything and people end up paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. Like you can put out the most ridiculous stuff and people will like bounce it around. And it's kind of strange, the internet rumors that we have to put down now, like, I don't know, eating iPods apparently is a thing now, which is concerning to me or, um, you know, drinking bleach because it will cure the coronavirus. Um, it's yeah. like, those are things that we actually have to tolerate and that, as things that people say. Yeah, and then there was that uh, scenario, I don't know if you had heard about it, but there was this um, thing that this, this YouTube group called Yes Theory had done where they took this photo of one of their members, dressed him like Justin Bieber um, and kind of took the, and then had him eat a burrito, but like through the middle, instead of the sides like normally. And um, then they posted it to Instagram, but with a different account and made it seem really realistic, like really realistic. News snapped that up and that became an actual thing for a while where they were like, the whole mainstream media thought it was actually Justin Bieber. But then they released a video later saying, explaining how they had set it up, but it was all a fraud. So that's, that plays into it too with, you know, saying how, Social media, you can put anything out there and people will pay attention to it. I think, well, yes, the public could be like more misinformed today than before. 
I think that the electors shouldn't be able to decide that, you know, I think that's probably too much power that they hold because they themselves might not even be more informed than the people they're representing. And it's not their right to decide whether or not the people are or are not informed. And if you think like, maybe it could go wrong if one party, well, actually, never mind. I was going to say that one party could decide to vote the other way, but that wouldn't make any sense because the parties are actually the ones that pick the electors. So that's part of the reason why faithless electors are so rare. It's because they're representatives for the party. I mean, it's interesting in a day and age where things have been getting more and more polarized because the minority opinion, like it used to be just that, like the minority opinion. Now it feels like there are just two big opinions that are out there, right? It's like guns versus no guns, death penalty versus no death penalty. I think though that part of the reason the electoral college was a good tool when we were probably a little less polarized was because there was a place for, well, because of the way it was designed, it was a way for moderates to get traction, right? It was a way for them to kind of have opinions that maybe not the far left or the far right would have agreed with, but opinions that people who were in the middle, which then may have been more people than definitely now, um, they would have been swayed one way or another and probably have gotten more stable and diverse policy. However, now there's not really that moderate option anymore. And if there is, they get drowned out by the extreme left or the extreme right, because those groups have gained so much traction that they, in essence, like they control the process from both sides. It's just a race to see who can control it more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. One thing about um, like more extreme voters controlling the process is that in the primary elections, those like more extreme voters tend to vote more. So they actually decide like the candidates that run during the general election oftentimes. So that kind of skews the actual opinions farther left and right. True. I think also like honestly, electoral college and popular vote aside, more people need to vote in general. Like we had massive turnout during this last election, but it wasn't like 100% turnout, which it feels like that's what it should be. Mm -hmm. Because either way, like, okay, voting is not like waiting for your one true love or whatever. It's like catching a bus, okay? Like it doesn't need to be the perfect one that you get to stick with for the rest of your life. Like if this isn't the perfect one, you can check again in four years and then and see if that one feels better but for now catch this bus and like go to the place that you need to go you that's how voting works it's not like oh but this one isn't perfect yeah exactly i've heard it in a way where it's like you know you compromise or like you pick the lesser of two evils (laughs) is what my political science teacher said i think is one of his examples um when he was going over some of the voting stuff and um it was yeah it's pretty interesting you know it's definitely not like oh i don't like 
either one. Well, then pick the one you like the most out of the two that you don't like, or go with a completely different party. Like you can vote libertarian or something that, mm-hmm. you know, you see get like 1% of the votes every time, which is kind of a bummer. That's another issue that I would like to go over some other time is, you know, if, is there any chance for these other political parties to get anywhere? But um, yeah, you don't have to settle. Well, you don't, you, you should vote no matter what I think, but you know, you just go with whatever one you think could do the less harm or <laughs> least amount of harm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, the way that you rationalize voting is that it is a statement of principle, really. Because your one individual vote, I hate to break it to you, isn't going to do anything, whether you do one thing or the other. Like That one vote isn't going to make the difference. But if you're voting on principle, then if you vote for an independent or a third party or something, that's justifiable. It's not like you're throwing away your vote Mm -hmm. because it's just what you believe or what you support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then also there's that, oh yeah. uh, yeah, So there is that mentality of, you know, it's just one vote. It's not going to make a difference. But I think that's the reason why so many people don't vote Mm -hmm. is because it's a whole collective idea of, oh, well, my opinion doesn't matter. But then if people thought I'd say more highly of their opinion, even though it does, doesn't matter a ton, it matters on a small enough scale that it can make a difference if enough people think that way. So even though, yes, it's correct, it's not going to make a massive difference. But if more people think of, hey, my vote makes a difference, then there's going to be more votes and more people's voices are going to be heard. Even if your vote doesn't, like, even if you think your vote won't make a difference, you should still exercise it. Because even if, even if you think it won't change the outcome per state, That's the mentality of so many people across the United States. I mean, there are elections where less than half of the population votes. So, of course, it seems rather, like, rather troubling that someone can get elected based on, if if it's a close election of, say, 40% of the vote, which has happened before, then only 20% of America's opinions are actually represented. And America has over 300 million people. That feels like not enough. So if you want your interests to be served, maybe not yours specifically, but the interests of a greater issue at hand in general, you need to vote and you need to get other people to vote because otherwise, we're never going to get anywhere on this issue. Like votes just going to keep going down. And the less that people voice their opinions, the less that this well, the actually the more that this mentality is going to grow. And eventually yeah. only a small minority, even within the electoral college is going to get served. Mm-hmm. I love how we just casually went from electoral college straight over to why you should vote. This is a plug, yeah. I don't know if they knew it, but this is a plug for voting in 2024. <laughs> and midterms. That's another thing. Can't yes. forget about those. <laughs> Was it? Um, I think I heard that Donald Trump, uh, the runner-up, got more votes than any candidate before, besides Biden <laughs> of the same year. <laughs> wow. He's amazing that way. Hmm. <laughs> Takes, yeah. Only five million less. Wow. 
<laughs> but yeah, actually, this last run was like a. I think it was like a record as far as how many people voted. Yeah. And I think overall it was like 160 million, mm -hmm. which actually is still kind of troubling because well, it's less than half. Yeah, it's it's less than half of the overall population of America. So I don't know. I think I think that's crazy based on just like how many how many get out the vote ads did you guys see during this last election season? It was like the NFL had voting ads like every like the CW had voting ads when I went to the movie theater. Wait, no, I didn't go to the movie theater. COVID. Never mind. Yeah. Um, another thing we have to look at is that people under 18 can't vote. So that takes out, I think, around 20 percent of the USA's population. Um, and then there's people, yeah, so, so that's, you know, 80%, let's say we get 45% total of America votes. That's like, you know, yeah, a good amount, uh, over half of people that can vote voted then. True. You know, some quick maths right there. <laughs> what do you guys think are some of the reasons that people, like besides thinking that their vote doesn't count? why people don't vote um because people don't like either candidate or any candidate um mm -hmm. i addressed that already that's a big a big thing um another reason is maybe they just don't want to maybe they just don't want to like you know i i don't have the time to do it or like they're unable to you know get to a place where they can vote um which, you know, they're trying to broaden it so you can vote pretty much from anywhere at this point. Like, you can go anywhere during voting season and you'll be able to find a place to vote. But some people just, you know, aren't able to make it. Maybe they're overseas or something and can't figure out a way to get to a place to vote. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's something we definitely overlook here in Washington. Yeah. Is since we can vote by mail, obviously. And that yeah. other states that are probably get a lot more sun in November, a lot more heat. <laughs> they have to go mm -hmm. wait in line most years, except maybe this year where there was uh, voting by mail. Yeah. And then there's also, you know, um, people who are convicted of a crime, you know, you, you can't vote sometimes mm -hmm. depending on the crime or whatever. So there's that. And then there's people who maybe live here, but aren't, like a completely registered citizen yet. I don't know. I mean, okay. Some of it is like politically motivated in many ways. So um, some of it is like, and it's an interesting thing that you brought up uh, the, the convict convictions of our versus vo voting because you have, um, you'll have minority groups or specifically African-Americans who a lot of them get convicted of certain crimes and low-level offenses that some of them may or may not have committed, honestly. But yeah. the important part is it often takes away their right to vote. And it's, or, and I'm not sure how prevalent it is now. It used to be a lot more common that this was a way to kind of like cheat black people out of their vote but yeah i think that was mentioned when i was reading through the electoral college things where people would you know kind of threaten mm -hmm. and just so that people would vote one way so yeah 
And that, I mean, that's less of an issue than it used to yes. be. But there are still tactics used by both parties that are probably are really subpar. Like um, sometimes Republicans will create fake voting boxes. Uh, sometimes Democrats will fill out votes for people who don't speak English and not tell them how they voted. Like, so there's a lot of problems uh, still that we probably should flush out electoral college or not. But um, either way, I mean, it's a better system, but it's not perfect. And it probably never will be, but it's what we got. Yeah, I think we just got to get it to a point where we're happy enough. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, another point I saw brought up about like uh, fixing the electoral college <clears throat> is that there are other things that are more important as to fixing our uh, political system. Yeah. Like the way debates are staged. What do you think about like changing the debate? the debate format entirely uh because like i I think it kind of benefits having a good stage presence and like it overvalues like charisma over actual skills people it's just it just results in a bunch of sound bites and not actually learning what someone's policies are so i think there is a large importance of having an actual debate where you can see You know, you want your political leader, you want the leader of your country to be able to think on their feet, right? You know, to go through these motions and if they're caught off guard, be able to come up with a way to get through, you know, whatever's coming at them. Um, So I think there is a very important part of it, but then it does, you know, tend to make it harder at times for people that are more of a quiet personality. Um, And then another thing that's, interesting about debates is you only see a Republican versus Democratic debate. You never see anything where a third party is included. And so if I were to change a debate, I would like to make it so that third parties could get more of a platform. Um, just, just so that people could see more of other sides and then that may in- increase voting for third parties or something. The debates overall are probably a necessary evil. I think I do agree with you though. They favor someone who has, like, who can talk and who can think on their feet. It may not necessarily favor, like, the quiet mannered genius, right? Um, and as someone who likes to talk and think on their feet, I really like the debates. But yes, <laughs> um, but I would say that it is a bit troublesome because, especially because of the way that our culture has kind of evolved, is we don't really take the time to listen to nuance, we take the time to listen to sound bites. And that probably has impacted the overall, like our increasing push towards polarization in terms of our political opinions. But I think that honestly, it's probably necessary because even if it favors someone with a stage presence, and even if it creates a um, an environment where someone with charisma is going to win. It does inform the voters to some degree about the kind of person that they're going to be electing, right? Yeah. And so I think it is an important part of the democratic and electoral process to have, um, to have debates so that we can really juxtapose the humans love juxtaposition it's just a thing we love seeing good versus evil red black versus white so on and so forth but 
Um, it is important that we get some feel for who the candidates are. And if that's a quiet person, then maybe it's a quiet person. If it's yeah. someone loud and rambunctious, it's someone loud and rambunctious, I guess. But it's a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call it an evil, but I'd say it's necessary. Um, Publicizing the candidates is necessary. I don't think the way that they do it is necessary, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like, they have 10 plus people on at once. Like, how are you supposed to get anything of value with that? And it's like broadcast on CNN or something where there's there might be a biased questioner or inter- interviewer. And they yeah. also have to fit in. I think it's a moderator like, MC. I'm oh, sure. yeah, I think yeah, that's what they right. call it. Yeah. It, it is technically just a questioner, however yeah, you said they it. They ask questions and then they try and get in words edgewise while the candidates talk over. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have to like stop candidates. Screaming at each other. <laughs> yeah. And then they have to fit in ad breaks and stuff. And that's just like, mm-hmm. why, why are there ad breaks when we're trying to elect a president? That just seems. Well, yeah. okay. During I don't want to hear about Tide Pods. <laughs> Why the the candidate was talking about them? Obviously, we should hear about them. But I, yeah, uh, I mean, it's it is harder. But like, honestly, like before this, there was probably not a system. There's probably not a system where we can hear from the candidates, like from the the actual candidates, um, and what they want to say or what they will say when they are kind of under pressure. Uh, which I think is important that we know what, because when you're under pressure, you generally say more of what you mean, I would think. Even if it's not, this is a weird way to say it, but even if it's not necessarily what you think you think, but you're more likely to vo- voice your true opinions when you're kind of confronted with them. Head yeah, on, more right? instinct. Mm-hmm. Um. So, Miles, what you're talking about brings up an interesting question. Is it the whole debate that we aren't totally for? or like people aren't totally for, or is it the coverage of it, the way the media presents it? Um, like Marcus was saying with sound bites, um, is it a problem with the debates or is it a problem with how it's covered? I think because it's, I think it's a bit of both. I think there definitely needs to be more time for candidates to speak because you, you can't really say anything in the time they allow you. Like your plan your entire plan for the United States and you have to put it in like three minutes or something that just yeah. doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. And most people aren't going to go out of their way to like go to someone's website or find more about them. Mm-hmm. So I think you should make it easier for people to get the most amount of information they can about. Certain so candidates. what would you propose for that? Like a 10 minute thing, you know, add extra time. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure. I haven't put a ton of thought into it, but they could do like a round table or something and have like three or four candidates and just kind of explaining their policies mm-hmm. and then give them more time. And then they could even make like a slideshow or something, you know? I was about to say, I'd love them to have a PowerPoint. That'd be great. Yeah. And I then mean, all the ads silly. would be for like Google Slides or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as silly as that might sound, especially to our viewers, um, but as silly as that might sound, it, the basic idea of it does make sense. Like, it's hard to remember, because right now the debates are about not who has the best policy, it's about who can get the best sound by it, right? That kind of 
but like rumbles around in your brain. Like an example would be um, if, if the, I don't know if any of you will remember this, but um, in the second democratic or yeah, the first or second democratic debate, um, Kamala Harris said something like um, they don't, America doesn't want to see us fight. They want to know how we're going to put food on their table. And that had nothing to do with policy at all. But after that, her like her debate or her polling numbers, sorry, her polling numbers went from like nothing to like 16%, just because people remembered what she said, right? She talked mm -hmm. very little about policy that night, but she talked a ton in like ways that people would remember it in ways that made people react and ways that made people think about her critically. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And if you say, if you say random stuff that has some sort of hidden meaning, people are going to latch onto one eventually, um, mm -hmm. you know, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about, but it's going to happen. Um, yeah. I kind of like the round table idea you mentioned miles, but I do think it would be a bit of a problem, you know, if certain people did get drowned out, like we were talking about before, um, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure exactly how it would be done, but I just think there needs to be a way to make the debates less of a reality TV, a look mm -hmm. at me, remember me, yeah. and more of I, an educational thing where mm -hmm. people actually get a chance to speak mm -hmm. and lay out their policies. Even the questions you hear from the moderators, half the time they don't have anything to do with policy. They're like, yeah. hey, you had beef with this person. You want to talk about it? <laughs> You know, it doesn't make Sometimes any sense. Sometimes they're like, you said something wrong on social media. Do you want to apologize for that? Or And it's like, okay, that's that's probably good, but yikes. Not here. You know? You're wasting yeah, not the here. candidate's time. Um, <laughs> I, that's yeah. pretty funny. Um, there was something interesting I had to say about it, but I'm kind of blanking on it right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. So this is a kind of crazy idea, but hear me out. If there weren't people, if people weren't allowed to go and attend them, I think that might actually increase speakers' times greatly by the amount of information they're giving out, um, the amount of focus they have on their actual presentation, um, and the amount of things that they say that are actually important instead of just, you know, grabbing people's attention. Um, because you see some of these debates and you hear people clapping and cheering for certain things, right? And at like, and that that's going to interrupt the speaker. Um, and it's probably going to draw their attention away from what they're actually trying to go over. And then, so there's that. And then the PowerPoint idea, I think, I don't know, that stuck with me. And you got that inside my head now. And so I, I want to see it come to life. Um, but that would be kind of funny because then in those sort of scenarios, the person who is actually running for president or a certain position in government would actually probably have to prepare it themselves. And so they wouldn't really have a writer do it. Cause you know, a writer might put something in there and the candidate doesn't see it and they get up there and they're like, wait a second, this isn't what I'm proposing, but it's right there on the screen. So <laughs> it would make them probably think a bit more clearly about their own sort of things that they're presenting to people and how important they are. Um, mm -hmm. And then we could also That's see how tech savvy all these candidates are. <laughs> 
That would be, I think it'd be funny though, if there were some typos is like, I am not proposing a 112% tax cut, but uh, I don't know. I think it's just I, a, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's just a 12% tax cut. But um, I think that it is, I don't know. I agree with you. Like this PowerPoint idea keeps bouncing around in my head because I think it would just be so much easier to actually pay attention to what the candidate's trying to like, what the candidate's trying to express and what their policy is. Because when it's just up there, you can read it instead of trying to follow along with their words while the other candidate is interrupting them and while the audience is like maybe clapping or booing and while everyone, like all those are all things that happen during debates while people are trying to actually talk about what they're trying to say, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know, I think that especially after the last debate that we all watched, we would very much like to see some actual policy and some actual, like, a nuance, I guess, because you could include a little more nuance. I mean, it's still a PowerPoint, but more than is said, usually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember which one of you said this, but something about uh, to see how a candidate would respond under pressure. I think they should keep that part to some extent because with a PowerPoint, there wouldn't be like as much of that. Yeah. Cause I think if it was just a PowerPoint, it would be too, like it would be too well put together. <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. No, that makes sense. Um, yeah. That was me who said it. And I was thinking about it in terms of if, if they're, if they did do PowerPoints, they would still leave a section for a response to, the candidate's PowerPoint or, you know, not necessarily PowerPoint, but ideas that they're laying out. A um, counter PowerPoint. <laughs> they should just have like a chess, they should just have a chess game for who's president. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. where we're going with this. Chess.com de uh, determines who's going to be the president of the United yeah, States. Yeah, obviously. Um, I think we should probably round this up and try to either mm -hmm. go back to the electoral college on this one um and just and finish that off right there um, okay with final final ideas on the electoral college final ideas all right Who, yeah we do you want to start fair, miles or should i uh yeah i can go i guess but yeah we sure. definitely got a far away from that <laughs> at least we but, stayed on the topic of voting kind yes. of yes sort we stayed of. with politics well, let's, let's see. We started at the Electoral College versus popular vote, and we ended at PowerPoint slides for debates. Exactly. No, chess. Chess for oh, presidency. Oh, yeah, chess for the presidency. Yeah. Very productive <laughs> time, guys. Hey, we got a good amount of stuff in there. No, yeah. we're just fitting in our sound bites, obviously, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. How should we round this up? So, yeah, Electoral College. So basically, uh, the side that wants to keep it would just say that otherwise you only hear what the big cities think, and it's just you, you only get one party kind of ruling the country in a worst-case scenario. Well, the side that would want to get rid of it would say there's probably some version of the Electoral College that would be better than popular voting. But the version that it is right now probably overrepresents the minority opinion and it brings it to a place, especially in our 
modern society of deep polarization, it doesn't really represent a minority opinion anymore. It represents two big opinions battling it out for control of a few key states, which in the end totally defeats the purpose for which the Electoral College was created. Yep, those are the <laughs> two big sides for this. Um, I think that rounds it out. And we always want you, the listener, to go and make decisions on this yourself, do your own research, um, inform yourselves. Don't, don't let uh, three high schoolers tell you what to believe. <laughs> Uh, thank you again, Marcus, for coming on the show. It was a great time. Thank you. Um, yeah, no problem. And uh, keep listening to KMIH 88 to Bridge. And we'll be back next week with another episode of That's Debatable. Also, a little side note is our podcast is available on Spotify and the KMIH website. So oh, make yeah, sure true. to check that That's out. That's a great thing. Also, uh, great cover art, definitely, whoever drew that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, we just got to make up an intro song. We'll come up, come up with that sometime else. Mm-hmm. Anyways, thank you Actually, again for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.